Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and get ready to have an amazing time at Training Unleashed. One of my favorite topics today, we're going to talk about innovation. We're going to talk about AI. We've got a great, great speaker. His name is Neil Sayota. He is an IBM master inventor, UN uh, AI subject matter expert, author, and speaker. And Neil, I'm going to start off with what does it mean to be an IBM master in, uh, inventor? What does that mean? Well, Evan, uh, basically it means you uh, create a lot of uh, value and you get a lot of work <laughs> in exchange for it. So there's only like 300 IBM Master inventors at any time. And it is that you've created a lot of valuable intellectual property, usually billions of dollars worth. Most of mine was associated with AI and like IBM Watson. And as a kid about the work, there there is some, but it's it's I actually enjoy it, which is actually helping future inventors and helping future people and create the next next big things, helping them kind of innovate and disrupt. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So when you look at yourself as an inventor, are you the idea person? Are you the engineer that figures out how to make it work? Are you the marketing guy that can see the connection between the idea and the market? Where, where do you see your fit? Um, to be an inventor, you really have to be all three. Okay. Uh, you have to obviously think of the idea. It has to be non-obvious and novel. That's the thing for a patent. So you have to really be able to articulate what are those things. You have to show that whatever you're talking about is feasible, like it could actually like be built or programmed or designed. And then you have to really show business value, right? Patents are actually very expensive to to file and to maintain. So you have to show, is, is there actually a market for this? That this would become a product or service? Is this something that could be sold? Or you know, is it, what kind of customer needs does it fill? You really gotta wear all three hats to be a great inventor. I, I bet you do, I bet you do. So as you know, our listeners are in training and I, AI is coming to training um, and I have, uh, senior management meeting of Toral Training today, and we were talking about it quite a bit. Where do you see invention, technology, AI impacting the world of training? Um, a lot, especially given the COVID pandemic. The, you know, everyone's talked about like, you know, the, the AI tutor or even AI train the trainer. Um, but we're actually seeing that AI can do a lot more than we, we thought. And to kind of give you just an example of that, um, there are some very big companies now that they're running like AI-based training games. So you're actually playing a game, but it's being run by an AI. And so everyone is playing a different kind of version of the game because the AI is dynamically changing the scenarios and parameters of the game based on the, the level of aptitude you're showing. So areas you might be stronger in, you might get you know, a little bit more deep into it, more co complexity in areas you might be weaker in, maybe less so. But one thing that people are actually finding fascinating and probably surprising is that it's actually also been effective in teaching like the soft skills. 
So like, you know, emotional intelligence, um, communication. Uh, and ironically, I think AI actually has a leg up on people because it doesn't get distracted. <laughs> right. It doesn't, doesn't have some of those, you know, I'm, I'm wondering what's happening with the kids or right? that kind of stuff going on. Or what should I say back? Uh, Cause it's just listening and showing that we've actually seen that the resonance could be a lot better. Plus there's no judgment factor. A lot of the students that are doing like these AI led kind of courses feel like they're less concerned about speaking up and making a mistake or feeling like they say something stupid because they know that AI is not judging them. Like, oh man, that guy's an idiot or anything like that. So I'll ask the first question. Should we be scared that AI I, and should we I, not our jobs? Should, should we be scared? Uh, no. Are there legitimate concerns? Yes, absolutely. But AI is a tool, like all technology is a tool. Think of it like a hammer. It's how we choose to wield it. We can use it to build something or to destroy something. And it's not like the AI wave is suddenly going to stop, but we have a, a chance to shape what that future will be. And I think that's where we kind of lose sight of that. And that if you're, if you're afraid, and again, like I said, I get that, it's going to inhibit you from being able to kind of lead the charge. So do you want to be the passenger or do you want to be the driver on this? So when you describe like AI leading a class, are you talking about like an instructor led class where the leader is literally an AI intelligence or are you talking about more one-on-one -on -one, uh, training? Great question. So right now it's more asynchronous or one-on-one -on -one training. There are actually instances now where AI has been combined with virtual reality, VR. And so um, it's actually, I believe in Columbia, South America, they have an astronomy program for sixth graders. And so it's actually led by their teacher. But like if you're a student, as you're in the virtual world, exploring around, the teacher's talking about something, but maybe the teacher's talking about the moon, you're like, man, I'm really into Mars you actually have the ability to kind of fly off to Mars and learn about Mars through like an AI assistant. So you can actually ask questions and all that kind of stuff. And so every student kind of gets their own little unique experience to that degree. You're not constrained by whatever the teacher's just talking about. Sounds like a Star Wars episode. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just, uh, if we can, because what you're describing to me is interesting, um, but perhaps expensive. And I want to talk more about it, but let's, let's maybe go a little bit ground to earth. What are some applications of AI that people could use today in a relatively simple way uh, in training? And I'm thinking about our pre-conversation where we talked about using it for voicing, uh, voiceover uh, in foreign languages and things like that and, and, and traditionally learning. But what are what are some of the you know the things, the easy first steps into AI for a training person? It's a good question. Um, I think that when it comes to the training aspect, there's not like that many out of the box tools unless they're already created, like the VR AI module for astronomy. And there are companies like like I was talking about Lingmo from Australia that actually has the translation stuff. The thing about AI is that it requires data and training itself. So it's hard to find things that are just out of the box unless somebody creates that specific product. 
So if you want to build something yourself, when you have the data or can you get the data or license it, acquire it to train the machine, the second is it does require training itself. Anytime you ask an AI to do something new, it's like a three-year-old kid. But it learns really, really fast. It can get to PhD level in just a few weeks, but you still need the human people to actually teach it. So if there's nothing off the shelf, there's lots of APIs, right? They're like less than a cent a transaction, all these things. There's lots of tools out there to help you, but there's no substitute for the data and the trainers. And that's really where a lot of the effort, a lot of costs come in that you know, people don't, they tend to underestimate that portion of it. I don't want to tell people, hey, this is just a magic bullet solution, because it's not. But that's why you actually see a lot of people now that they're trying to create AI services for, for the training field. But they know that we can do these things, and we can probably create you know, this box, and people will pay us to help create the training programs for them. But unfortunately, it's not just a prepackaged, here you go, and you're off to the races. So does your company help people that want to create uh, AI training or AI's um, simulation, those type of things? I mean, would people contact you for that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, we do help people figure out, one, how to do this. Two, is AI the right thing? You don't need AI for everything. And then if it is the right fit, what's the best approach? What kind of data and the actual design, build, rollout? So AI projects are not your traditional IT projects. They're not like even like agile projects. It's a real amalgam, a meld of the domain experts, the business experts, and the technologists. Because at the end of the day, you can have a bunch of smart technologists, but do they understand the, the challenges of training? Do they understand the importance of like instructional design? Right? Most of them don't, and that's why you really gotta work together. Now I'm gonna share something with you, Neil, you have no idea. I actually, at one time in my life, was an AI programmer. And my first ever AI program was in 1980. Wow. In basic. And <laughs> I, taught, I taught a computer to play tic-tac-toe. And uh, the, the, the computer learned as it played. So uh, it was a very interesting experiment back then to uh, teach a computer on how to learn and, and uh, improve itself. Now, that is my total extent of, of, of AI training. So I don't, don't want to give people the impression <laughs> that an AI, an AI developer. Um, but, uh, You're ahead of the curve, Evan. <laughs> yes, I'm definitely ahead of the curve. In fact, that's probably the curse of my life is I'm ahead of the curve. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I, and I find it, you know, I find it fascinating. Um, and I, I do think that there's so much that we can do in real world simulation. So a lot of what we do in training is very straightforward and it's a clear set track and gameplay and, you know, examples and, and things like that. AI is going to be utter, utterly amazing with. Um, but to your point, um, it's not like you can go to an engineer and say, hey, develop this AI thing without tons of thought of what the basic parameters are. Because it's not, 
you know, it's like that basic program where we're on tic-tac-toe. Well, A, the computer doesn't even know it's playing tic-tac-toe. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it has no construct. I have to build the construct when I, you know, wrote the code. Um, so I, I do think it's uh, it's going to be interesting. And I, you know, going back to the language company that you reference, I think that's probably the single biggest current thing is, you know, if you want to save money, and you're going to create an online course and you want to make it available in 10 languages, that would be, you know, breathtakingly expensive with all the talent, all the, um, you know, language conversion uh, and speaking, and you can literally have a computer translate the English into a foreign language and speak in a way that you would think you were speaking to a human being yeah. in that language. Yep. And that's a game changer uh, in terms of the ability to, you know, uh, create uh, effective training in multiple, multiple languages at an, eco an ec economic cost. And, you know, putting in a plug for my turtle training, uh, <laughs> we do do that. <laughs> um, and uh, we're very excited about AI. I mean, it's very coincidental that we're talking because the, you know, our joke materials is just about as expensive to produce a course in another language as it is to do the original course because of the cost of the translation, because of the need for the extra speaker. And the other thing is, and this doesn't really go away, is the length of speaking in different languages is different. So I can say something in a couple words in English, then another language could be 10 words, and vice versa, another language could be one word and need five American words or English words. So, um, you know, it's, it's not like... Uh, Per se, it's going to be the easiest, easiest thing in the world. Interested in Tortle's learning management system? Why not try it for free today? Tortle is offering a free LMS for up to 25 users. With Tortle's easy-to-use self-authoring tool and free quick start guide, you'll have courses up in no time. Sign up today and you'll experience one of the easiest-to-use LMSs in the marketplace today. To learn more, visit tortle.com forward slash LMS. So let's kind of shift because we've talked about this a fair amount and you're an expert about a lot of things. And let's just talk about the art of disrupt, disruptive thinking because that is, you're an innovation person. And as an innovation person, you're always looking on how do you disrupt because that's the key to, to innovation. Uh, how do companies bring in disruptive thinking into their process? Well, it's, it's ironically a cultural and mind shift change for the organizations, right? We, it's funny, right? I always hear about, oh, that's an amazing idea like that. How, how do you do that? Well, you think differently. But no one ever tells you how do you actually think differently. And I think that's one of the big things is you have to give people guidance. It's not like everyone just gets an aha moment, right? And or like, hey, you have to be like an Elon Musk to to get these moments. I think there's all these hidden dots out there that we're not just trained to see. And it's actually training people to see what those dots are and actually connect them together. And so sometimes that means could something in a different industry, could I repurpose it for my industry? Or it could be hey, 
maybe I need to look at this from a different perspective, right? A different vantage point. Right? It's just like cars. You know, we always talk about it's the self-driving car, what's going to happen. And right now, a lot of the audio manufacturers focus on the driver's experience, right? Well, there's not going to be even drivers in the future. And so smart companies have already started positioning themselves around the passenger experience. And they realize this is a whole different way to think about cars, design the features, and all these bells and whistles. And so sometimes you need that perspective change, or sometimes it's, you just got to challenge an assumption. We, we, we actually wind up taking assumptions as, as literal truths when they're just something like, I'm going to hope this holds true, and we never challenge that. Right? The guy that started Zipcar was a perfect example of that, in that you started thinking, hey, uh, my first... My most, my first asset, my most expensive one is my car. How much time do I spend in it? I feel like I don't drive that much. He actually researched it and learned that the average American spends about an hour a day in their car, right? So it's idle for 23 hours. So he challenged the assumption that people have to own cars. But if you just get a car on demand, right? Then he did Zipcar and freaked out the rental car agencies. And then you got, you know, the guys from like Uber Lyft come in and say, well, they challenge the assumption is, why do you even need to drive a car? There's other people driving around because you just carpool, right? Right share, boom. So it's, right, we, we look back down, oh my God, that was so obvious, right? Totally makes sense, but that's the thing. To start thinking differently, you gotta start challenging that assumption, looking at a different perspective, or can I repurpose something? You know, I, I have a similar experience in my household. My oldest son challenged my assumption that I needed a car by, saying, Evan, I'm going to use your dad. I'm going to use your car now. And so I don't know. That's a totally different story. Um, <laughs> you know, kids, kids are natural disruptors. I'll just, I'll just put it that way, right? They, they haven't learned the bad habits we get when you get older. <laughs> Yes, they are. Not, they are. It's it's very hard to say no to them. It's very hard to say no to them. And it, it's I I've, I've moved into the city, so I don't actually really need a car like I used to need a car. So, um, but we are way off topic. You know, one of the things that I've done uh, is go in and challenge my management team and said, okay, here's a blank board. We now work for a company that's going to put us out of business. What would that company, they don't have any real estate. They don't have any, they have nothing. They're starting with money and an imagination. What would they imagine? And then you build that company, not literally, but figuratively. And then you say, okay, if you're going to prepare yourself for that company, what would we do to be most ready? And that, that kind of exercise I have found to be pretty effective. Um, do you have any like really good questions that you like people to ponder? Uh, I, 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 I do. I, I try to break them out of what I call a linear thinking mode, right? Or I try to break them out of the box. Everyone says you got to think out of the box, but sometimes you don't know the box you're in, right? I don't know what the dimensions or the boundaries are. And so I, I try to challenge them with like essentially nonsensical things to try and break off the, the anchors so you speak about what's actually going on. So, you know, I'll, sometimes I'll, I'll ask them like, well, forget about everything that you're doing. What if you worked in this totally different industry? Like maybe you're in healthcare, like, you know, what if you were actually in financial services, right? 
And I would come up with a similar scenario. It's like, well, you're trying to get the risk assessment uh, of a potential customer that wants to put a you know retirement portfolio in. How are you really going to figure out if they're telling you the truth, right? That there really is, a and you know, but it totally separates them from what they did. They're actually willing to think differently about it, right? And then you tie it back to healthcare and say, well, now if you're a doctor or a nurse and talking to a patient, how do you know if they're actually telling you the truth? How are they going to stick to that, you know, program, that treatment program or something else? And then suddenly you see like the lights click on and they're, oh my God, I never looked at it that way. Right. And so sometimes we just have to either step back or step in someone else's shoes because it's, it's, it's easy because we get so, so wrapped into what we're doing. And we, we, we kind of, we like, we, I hate to say this, the longer we're doing something, the more we think we're an expert and there's truth in that, but the more it makes us resistant to any kind of change. Cause like, well, no one's ever done that or you can't do that. And so you start finding reasons why it won't work rather than finding reasons on how you might be able to do it. Yeah. Tom Peters, who I'm not sure you know, but when I, when I was young, I looked up to him as a major management guru. Uh, said it was harder to unlearn than it is to learn, and I and I think that that's true. And you get you know, people go to what they're used to, uh, and I think there, you need to be if you're going to disrupt, you need to become uncomfortable. Uh, I I think that's really critical, uh, and you know if if you don't want to be put out of business, you got to put yourself out of business. You got to Uber yourself before you get Kodak, right, Evan? I mean, if, if you're not trying to disrupt yourself, someone else is going to disrupt you. I mean, look what happened to Kodak. They were the kings of film for 100 years. They own 90% of the market share, and they're bankrupt, right? They're just actually defunct today, and people saw it was a digital camera. They were slow to embrace the digital camera. You know who invented the digital camera? Kodak. Kodak, Steve Sassoon, invented in 1976. They had the technology 20 years before anybody else. Yeah. And yeah, back then it was, you know, it was, it was, it was a little crude. It would cost lots of money to invest and develop. And but the biggest fear the executives have was if we did this, we spent this money, we camelize our film business. Yeah. And so they they shelved it. I mean, we don't have Kodak phones today if they pursued it. And hindsight's 2020. 20, oh my God, they shouldn't have totally done that. But they didn't realize that back then. Yeah, and Polaroid similarly was all about the instant picture. Yeah, digital was all about the instant picture. Um, and you know, you can go on and on and on about companies. I mean, GM. When I grew up, GM there was a statement was as goes GM, so goes the country, because they were the number one corporation in the world. And if they were successful and they were growing, the company was doing well. If they were having a hard time and sales were down, the, co the country was doing poorly. They had more cash than any company in the world. And I, I think in today's dollars, they have cash like to the equivalent of almost like a half a trillion dollars in cash. And, you know, the, the Japanese companies came in in the late 60s. They had 40 years, 40 years to innovate. And they went bankrupt. Yep. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you've done or heard of the, uh, the, the rising star, the cash cow, and, and that kind of innovation game. Are, are you familiar with that? Yeah, I, I am. And it's, they're very useful tools. But I think it's, it's one of those funny things where I, at least 
I see working with clients, they always feel like this is not going to happen to me. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I hope it doesn't, but one of the most powerful pictures I've painted for these guys is I show them this graph for the first year of the S and P 500, right? The top 500 companies, 50 years later, only 16% of them are still there. There are only, only 16 are still in S&P 500. It's just like, what happened? Right. All these great companies, smart people. And it's like, it's, it's not like, Hey, oh, they don't want to innovate. It's they get complacent. Right. And you get complacent is when you start innovating. It's when you start disrupting. And I think it's that, that mindset, right. We keep talking about it. If you don't build this into your culture, you just can't turn it on like a switch. Right. Well, and you know, I, I happen to, have the luxury of working for a company that grew from basically nothing to 10 billion in system-wide sales. And what made the difference was we were always investing in innovation, always trying to outdo ourselves. We never rested, ever rested. And I think that's really an important uh, outcome is to, is to keep reinvent, reinventing yourself. And what I think is interesting with the pandemic, and hopefully there's some people listening to this right now going, that pandemic was a while ago. <laughs> we're, we're in the middle of is it's opening people up to ideas. And, you know, especially the virtual office, uh, meeting and, and with remote people via video, which is much more powerful. Um, I think, uh, you know, remote learning, virtual led learning, a lot of those things are becoming, you know, really, really, uh, really, really powerful. And anyhow, we're having a great conversation. I know you have an offer for us, Neil. And would you kindly share what that offer is? I would, I would love to, Evan. I mean, we're, we're talking about disruptive thinking, and I've actually put together uh, a think different disruptive thinking framework, something that I've, I've used successfully for Global Fortune 500 clients of mine. And, you know, for your great audience members, I'm more than willing to give you a 30-minute free consultation that can help you figure out a potential idea. So if you'd like to take advantage of it, please go to my website, which is neilsoto.com. You'll see a contact page. Just reach out. Please use the uh, code Training Unleashed Podcast, and we'll be happy to give you 30 minutes and see what we can do to help you get your on the disruptive path here for your business. So a lot of people listening have a description and that information is going to be in the description. Not everyone is. So if you wouldn't mind sharing and maybe spelling out your website, that would be really helpful. So ha happy to. So it's neilsahoda.com. That's N-E-I-L-S-A-H-O-T-A.com. Okay. And the promo code is Training Unleashed Podcast. So yeah. I want to just say something. This is a very gracious offer. And I, I told Neil when he was telling me about the offer that he might regret it because so many people. <laughs> so I want you to make him pay the price. I want you to call him because first off, it's very rare that you get an opportunity to spend 30 minutes with a person who's all about disruptive thinking, innovation, and, you know, his history of innovation, you know, IBM master inventor, to be able to go spend 30 minutes and let him shake your branches uh, is probably a really good use of your time. Uh, so please do take advantage of this great offer. Neil, um, 
everyone one tip. If you have one tip to share, what would that one tip be? Look, my, my one tip to share is don't be afraid of taking risks. I'm not saying jump out of a plane without a parachute or anything like that. <laughs> but I, I always like when I, you know, like, you know, back in the day interviewing like the MBA students, I would always ask the question, if you're hundred percent successful, is that a good or a bad thing? Right. They know there's like, there's a trick here somewhere. Right. Cause that's like, why? And if you tell me you're hundred percent successful, it tells me that you're not taking enough risk. And if I, you really want to innovate, you want to be disruptive, you at least want to have that next great venture for your company, for yourself, you gotta roll the dice a bit. So don't be afraid to take risks. I, I was listening to a fellow entrepreneur who announced that he had never invested in an unsuccessful business. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Maybe he's never invested in a business, so it's technically true. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, one of my interview questions is, share with me a failure that you were proud of. And, um, because it, it look at it, people if people aren't willing to fail, they aren't willing to try, and uh, it's 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 important, and uh, it's all you know. We haven't talked about culture, and I know culture is one of the things that you do talk about, but a culture and organization that allows people to take risk, I think, is really really important. Neil, I want to thank you as a gift. I want to say also that I'm very proud member of the C-suite, and appreciate the C-suite. Uh, the show is now on C-suite TV, by the way. Uh, as well as wherever there are podcasts, including C-Suite Radio. I uh, want to thank the listeners. As always, you're what makes the show successful, and hopefully you gain something from the show. And again, Neil, thank you very much for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure, Evan. Thanks for having me on. This has been Training Unleashed, but it doesn't stop here. Just go to trainingunleashed.net to subscribe to the show. That way, you'll never miss an episode, and you'll be well on your way to delivering training programs that are off the chain. We'll talk to you next time on Training Unleashed. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>